Uh, I'm going to be up here today for a little bit, and the reason is because we're going to be talking about this table. Uh, I was thankful for Stephen to fill in for me last week. He always does such a good job. We're so blessed uh, to have Stephen here with us. Uh, and uh, he was up here talking about how so much of what God does is centered around the table. And so we're going to continue that, and this week we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a feast, about what we actually uh, consume at the table. And not only that, this table is going to be up here for a few weeks because we're, we're going to spend some time uh, talking about that. So like I said, last week it was about the table. Today we're going to talk about a feast. Now, it, when we start talking about a feast like was, was just described there in Isaiah 25, uh, the first thing you start noticing is what's being spoken of there is obviously a big deal. He's not talking about a meal. He's talking about a feast. And those aren't the same things. And I, I was trying to decide how to describe what the difference between a meal and a feast is. Now, I, I am not above uh, just a meal. Like, I've sat in my pickup truck eating taco casa alone in the parking lot. That's not a feast. Okay, that's a meal. Get a little taco sauce right here on your shirt. Uh, eating that alone while you're listening to the radio or something like that so that you can get some food inside of you. I've done that. I don't have a problem with that. I think that's just fine. Every now and again, you need some taco casa. But that's not what I think of when you start talking about a feast. What I start thinking about then is the table at my grandmother's house uh, in the holidays at Tyler. And I remember that there was this piles of food everywhere. And she had this china that she would use around the holidays and she had these baked beans that she would make that nobody else knew how to do it. My mom tried, I've tried, we've all tried, but nobody's been able to recreate what she did. And you know, it's, it's those ones where there's like a ton of brown sugar in it, and it's got these strips of bacon on the top of it where it's cooked. And I remember looking at that and just salivating as soon as I saw it. There'd be piles of rolls up there, and then there's, you got your broccoli and cheese casserole, and then you have that Green bean casserole has those little french fried onions on top of it. You know what I'm talking about. It has that. And then a Greenberg smoked turkey from Tyler, Texas. If you haven't ever had that, oh, you need to have that. That is so good. And I remember looking at that and going, that's what I think of when you start talking about a feast. And I don't know if it has to do with how much food or who's there. This week I asked some of the folks that are around the office, some of the other ministers, I said, tell me about the best meal you've ever had. And it was interesting what happened because sometimes what it had to do with is what you were actually eating and how tasty it was. And sometimes what it had to do with who was there. But most of the time it had to do with both. It had to do with what we were sitting down to eat and who was there. And I think both of those together make what we call a feast. It makes something that's special. It makes something that's just beyond a meal. It's this time where what we're going to do is we're going to sit down with people that we love and we're going to be filled. And that's this idea of what they're talking about in Isaiah 25 is that there's something happening here that will actually fill us. And not only fill us, it will fill all the people that we love and all the people that are around us. It's the best food, right? You can have a lot of food. It's not Golden Corral. Don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking on Golden Corral. There's a lot of food there, but it's not necessarily the best food, right? They, they cover a wide array. But what we're talking about is all of the food that's needed and the best food that's there. And obviously what you start looking at when you look at that scripture is something beyond just physical food. Because he goes from saying it's the best meat and it's the best wines to then all of a sudden saying, and what will happen is death will be swallowed up. 
And what will happen is this shroud that covers us will be removed. And what will happen is every tear will be wiped away. And you start realizing immediately, he's not talking about just regular food. He's talking about people coming and being filled with something that changes their whole life. It doesn't just change your physical being, but it changes them at the very core of who they are. Now with that, we're actually going to move today, and our text is going to be in Luke 14. Uh, we're going to spend some time starting next week in Luke 15. It has to do with the prodigal son, the lost sheep, the lost coin, that sort of thing. But today we're going to be in Luke 14 because it sets it up. Luke 14 is a place where Jesus is talking to religious people. He's actually at a Pharisee's house, and it's on the Sabbath. So it's holy day, and these are believers. These are people who know the living God and who want to follow him. And Jesus takes this opportunity to talk to them in particular about feasts. He's going to use words like banquets and like parties and like feasts and like meals. And he's going to go through all of this. And one of the things that we're going to notice and we're going to look at today is he does three things. He tells three stories real quick in Luke 14. And they talk about what it means to be a guest. And he's going to talk about what it means to be a host. And then he's going to talk about what it means to be invited to this table. And we're going to look at all of that today because this is one of my favorite chapters in Luke and, and throughout the Bible because it has so much for us to learn and there's so much here. So I'm, I'm excited to share this with you. And if we can, let's, uh, let's read Luke 14. We're going to start in verse 7. When he noticed how the guests picked the place of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all of those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that's what it means to be a guest. Then he continues on. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't just invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back so that you'll be repaid. When you give a banquet, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, and then you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And that's what it means to be a host. And then he continued on in verse 15. And he said, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, there was a certain man who was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry, and he ordered the servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town 
Bring in the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has already been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, then go out to the roads, go to the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. And that's what it means to be invited. Stories of the feast. Stories of what it means to be at the feast of God. And he's got a lot to show us here, and I think it's really important for us to look at this. You need to know the idea of the feast being the kingdom of God does go all the way back to Isaiah. This is something that Jewish people understood. When Jesus started talking and said there was a master, and he threw a feast, and he invited these people, immediately these followers of Yeshua, God's people, go, I know what he's talking about. He's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about those that belong to God. And this idea of a feast is something different than what we would think of now. you got to go back a few thousand years and understand that the idea of having enough to eat was a daily concern. If you're a slave or if you're a nomad or if you're poor or if you're moving around all the time or if you're a conquered people, the idea of having enough was a daily concern. So the idea of having enough for you and for everybody you know and for it to be enough for everybody you know to be completely filled was something that didn't happen often. Only the very, very wealthy, maybe the, royal, the royalty, had the ability to set a table that goes, this is going to be enough for me, this is going to be enough for you, this is going to be enough for everyone we know, and for them to be filled. For them to not have to worry about tomorrow what you're going to eat. You're going to have enough. You're going to have more than enough. This will be, it's this idea of completeness. There's no fear here at this place. There's no concern about tomorrow. There's no, what am I going to do later? This table represents the idea of you will come and you will have everything you need completely. You can rest here. You, you don't have to worry. You don't have to have concern. And, and obviously, it's not just food, but they're starting talking about the things that you desire most will be in such abundance here that you'll be filled in every possible way. Everything that your heart and your soul actually craves is going to be in such great amount that you will be completely filled in every way. So this was a big deal for them. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about this, and I'm going to use these three chairs in particular to talk about this. I want you to know in the first century, this is not what a table would look like. It would be more horseshoe-shaped. It would come out, and then it would come down here, and the head would be over on one side. But we're going to use it kind of in the 21st century. So we're, we're going to talk about this a little bit uh, in, in our culture of what this looks like. But we're still going to talk in particular about these three seats. We're going to talk about the head of the table. We're going to talk about the foot of the table. And then we're going to talk about this chair right here and what this means. And so we're going to look at, we're going to look at this and how these chairs interact with each other and what they mean. I want to start here. So one of the things it talks about is, is what the host does. And one of the things you need to understand is no matter how you slice it, if it's the old style horseshoe type table where they would recline or if it's the table that we talk about now, we know that in most tables when you have a big feast, maybe at Thanksgiving or at Christmas, there's a head of the table. And the head of the table is where the host sits. And the host is the person that is providing everything for the feast. It's they have provided, they have prepared, and everything that's there, it's his table. And everything that's on it is his. 
And everything that is there that has been provided for the people that come has come at his cost. He's the one that paid the price for everything to be there. He is the one who makes sure that there, are, that there is food for those that come. It's his table, and it's come at his cost. And you know, the more the cost, usually the better the fare, right? Like, you, you know that there's a difference between Taco Cabana and Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. It's different, right? I mean, there's a, there's a difference in what the cost is there for the people who will be able, be able to partake. And the other thing that we know about this is that the more it costs and the finer the fare is really the more care he has for the people that are coming. There's more love there. And for him to work and put that out, you know that feeling. Like I've seen people do that where they work all day to put together this great feast for the people that are coming and this meal that they want to have. And it's because they care about them. It's, it's something that really matters to them in some way. I'll, I'll tell you, so just this week, the Greshams brought uh, lunch to us in the office, to the ministers. They, they brought this, this great lasagna and the salad and everything, and you go, oh, lasagna and salad, that's nice. But you need to know, the Grishams don't just like buy lasagna and bring it to you. So she made the cheese from scratch. She roasted the tomatoes herself. She didn't pour ragu on there. She roasted those herself. And she was telling us about the salad, and she made the vinaigrette that she put on there from the fruit that actually made the vinaigrette for the salad and all of these things that she cut and it was great. And there's no way that I could look at that and go, wow, that's really kind. This cost you a lot. It cost you a lot of time. It cost you a lot of effort. There's a lot of love in this. Not to say that I don't like frozen lasagna. I do. If you want to bring me some, I'll be happy to take it. And, and we'll feel loved. But that sort of effort, you start realizing there's a lot of love. And there's a lot of cost that goes in this. That sacrifice and that love, that matters. When, when I was dating Melissa in Abilene, I was poor. We were in college. I was poor. And I had this certain amount of money every month that I would make. I was mowing some yards. And the first thing that I would do is I would take some money, I would fill up my car with gas, and then I would set aside the rest of it for when she and I would go out on a date. Because I knew that that meal, I wanted to be nice because, you know, I'm trying to trick her into marrying me, right? I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> so the rest of the time, I would go to the Super Duper, which was the name of the grocery store that was over there, and you could get Top Ramen. Do you remember Top Ramen? I think they still have it. They were like eight for a dollar. And so I would buy like $6 worth. Well, that's like 48 things of Top Ramen. It's disgusting. I mean, I ate it so much that I had learned to eat it in a hundred different ways and finally settled on, I would just open the package and eat it straight dry. It tastes like a communion cracker. I would eat all of that and then just kind of drink a big glass of water and let the water kind of make it swell in there and you know, kind of feel full. The reason was because that was just a meal. But when I wanted to take her out, that was what I was saving my money for. That meal mattered. That was who I loved. So I was willing to sacrifice and make sure that I had enough money at that time so that we would be able to have a much better meal. It comes at great cost, and when you start realizing what God has done and the way that God sets this up, you start going, man, what we get, a table full of mercy, of grace. We get this table full of love and forgiveness. We get identity. We get completeness, wholeness. We get rest. It's come at great cost. 
actually came at the cost of death, death of the son. So you can imagine now why the master in the story is so furious when people decide they don't want to come. You know, I'm not going to come. And frankly, they have some lame excuses. I need to go look at a field. I need to go try out my oxen. I don't even know what that means. You test drive oxen? I don't know. But that's lame. I just got married. I get that one a little bit. But overall, you have a master who's going, you're denying my table for something that promises much, much less. Something that won't fill you. Something that won't make you complete. Something that will eventually let you down. That can't be everything to you that what I've provided will. And that's why he's not just angry, but he's hurt. They're not just rejecting the meal. They're rejecting the host. They're rejecting what it took for him to prepare this table in some way. That there's all this unconditional love that's there. That's been there at great cost. And he knows no other table will fill you like mine. Don't leave mine for another one. The field, the oxen, the spouse, none of those will do for you what my table will. Another thing about the host's chair and the host that's there at the table is you need to know it's his responsibility to provide enough food. It's not ours, it's his. And that's one of the things that he does is he makes sure that there's enough. There's an endless supply of what will fill you here. And that's part of what our host provides for us. You know, that's why it, when the host in the story says, hey, go get the poor, go get the lame, and bring them all in, and they go, we've already done that. He goes, but I have more. I have more to give. I have more to fill people with. Go find more people. I have more. I have this endless supply that I want to share with people. I need for you to go get more. That is about him making sure that we understand that what he's providing is going to be enough. It's going to be more than enough. And I'll tell you, we have a hard time believing this because we tend to look at things like this and go, it's a meal. And really what God's saying is in this feast, this is more than just a meal. I'm not providing a one-time thing. I'm talking about filling you forever. I'm talking about you being complete. I'm talking about you have enough where you will never hunger again. When you come and sit at my table, what you get is the thing that will fill you up where you don't have to worry about will there be more tomorrow. My mercies are new every morning. My grace overflows. My love is complete. This is not just about a meal. This is about you never having to eat again. You will be completely full. We have a hard time with that. Because the first thing that we usually do is go, he filled me up once, what about tomorrow? Is this mercy? Is this grace? Is this forgiveness? Is this love? Is this provision? Is it going to be there tomorrow? And too often what we do is we miss out on the feasting that we can do right now because we're worried about whether or not he's going to provide for us in the future. Will God do it again? This is about you no longer going hungry ever because what this does is it changes you. That's why Jesus talks about things like I'm the bread of life and I have living water. These are the things that transform you from the inside out. You will be full. You will be complete. You will be different. When you sit at my table, you will never hunger again. And the host, he sets the celebration. This is another big one that we need to understand. He is the reason that we're rejoicing. He gets to say what the celebration's about. We don't do that. He gets to do that. One of the things I did this week when I asked folks, what's the best meal you ever had? I actually had someone who said just this last week, it's the best meal I ever had. I was like, that's awesome. What happened? It was because who was there. Everybody was there. 
He's saying, I had my kids, I had my grandkids. It's been a long time, but they were all there. Every seat was filled. It's the best meal I ever had. He was the host. That's what the host gets to say. I'll decide when we celebrate, and I'll set what we celebrate for. When those seats are filled, and it feels like home for people, and they know they're safe, and they know they're secure, that's when I celebrate as the host. Let me talk to you about another seat. This one. This one's at the end of the table. This is our seat. For those of us that have chosen the way of Jesus, this is our seat. And it's a good one. It's at the foot of the table. But it's a really good one. You want to know why it's so good? This is a seat my Jesus picked. This is the one he wanted. This is the one he sat in. When he left the throne of glory in heaven and he entered into this world to come and dwell among us, this is the one he picked. The one at the end of the table. And he never went without. Ever. He knew that to sit at the foot of the table, at the Father's table, doesn't mean you go hungry. And it doesn't mean you go with less. You get everything that's promised in every way. This is the seat he sat at. It's a good seat. It's a good seat for us when we trust. But you've got to understand there's some lies and there's some truths about this seat. And you've got to make sure you don't fall for some of the lies that come down here sometimes that still attack us. One is we can be lied to about how we got here. And we can start to believe it. That what this is, is this seat is something that I earned by following the rules. I did the right things, and that's how I got this seat. There are things that I'm supposed to do, and there are things that I'm not supposed to do, and I did those things, and that's why I get this seat. Every table has rules, right? In my table, growing up, we had two rules. One is you can't sing at the table. I don't know what that was. And the other one is you have to have one spoonful of everything on the table, and if you complain, you get two spoonfuls, which I thought was a great rule. That kept everybody from ever saying, I don't like squash. Oh, you don't? Well, here's your second spoonful of that. You have to clean your plate. That was the rules. Lots of tables have rules. Let me tell you, my place here, I didn't get in any way by following any rules. I was invited to this free of charge. I didn't even bring the side potato salad. There was nothing I brought to this. I just got to come and I got to sit here. And what happens with this is when we start thinking we did something to get here, then we can start comparing and we start going, God, you don't want some of these other people at the table. Some people come and they put their elbows on the table and they're not doing it right. And they're not eating in the right order. They didn't wash their hands in the right way. You don't realize what they've done. They're still kind of dirty and they come in here and they don't know what they're doing. That's when we start believing the lies about how you get to this table. The host invites and people get to come. We haven't done anything to get here. It's a huge act of grace that we are here. And that is so freeing because that means there's nothing I can do to get kicked out of this table either. As long as I decide I want to be here and I'm eating here and I'm consuming these things, I get to stay here. There's another lie that we can have is that it's not enough. There's not going to be enough. If I'm at the end of the table, I'm afraid that what's going to happen is everybody else is going to take it and by the time it gets to me, there's not enough. That's a lie. My God is independently wealthy. He has all the stuff he needs. He does not run out. There is never a time where he runs out of grace, he runs out of mercy, he runs out of love, he runs out of freedom. Those things make it all the way to the end of the table. And not only do I get some, I don't get the leftovers, I get all I need. This doesn't run out. 
we got to trust. That is a huge part of this, is we trust that sitting here at the foot of the table is just as good as sitting anywhere else. Because we know that even the foot of the Lord's table is a place where you get everything you need, and you will always be filled. When we start believing that lie, what happens is that we start looking to fill ourselves, and we go, I'm afraid there's not going to be enough, so I'm going to go find my own way to feed myself. I'm going to go find the things that I look for that will feed me. And that's when you walk away from the table. You start filling yourself in some other way. We don't want to believe that lie. One of the other lies that we can get here is we get the idea that this is about me. That this whole table has been set up about me. Here's one of the things that I've learned. It's not about me, and we're not celebrating me. We're not celebrating me at this table. And that's good. I'm so glad we're not celebrating me. I've tried celebrating me in this life, and it has been awful. It never works out. It leaves me hungry all the time. I never live up to the celebration that I would like to have for me. This is not about me. This is about him. And we're not celebrating me. And that is such a freeing thing. It is such a good thing to realize that I don't have to bear the responsibility of making this about me. Celebrating me has left me unsatisfied in every single way. And what fills me up is to make sure I'm celebrating him. And it's a whole different thing, and it's good, and it's filling, and it's complete. Then there's this table, this chair. This is the empty chair. Nobody's sitting at this one. And if you remember the last story that Jesus tells in there about the feast, this is a big deal. The empty seat. That whole last one is about there. And one of the things that we can learn from this is that the host, the master, his eyes are drawn immediately to the empty seat. You know, it talks about that there were servants there, but he's looking and going, why is this seat empty? And it's not just that his eyes are drawn completely there. We're connected to this seat. We have a huge connection to this seat. We don't get to go. It doesn't matter what's happening there because we're his servants. And if you remember, what he does is he doesn't go out and get people. He sends his servants, go get them and bring them in here so that my, my table will be full, so that all the seats will be filled. We're connected to this one. It's, it's who we are now. It's our commission. It's part of his celebration is that we're connected to this empty seat. We are so connected to it, it drives our life. It drives what we do. It's not just the good commission, it's the great commission, and it fills us up in every way to be connected to this. I had a sweet lady at the church that I used to work at. And I say sweet lady because I'm up here and I'm trying to be a preacher. She complained all the time. <laughs> all the time. Nearly every Sunday. And I got to where I would avoid her. And the complaints were always about, oh, I don't like the lights. It's too bright. It's too dark. It's too loud. It's too quiet. And she's sing this song. You should sing that song. Just constantly. Constantly. Me, me, me. I'm not getting at my table what I want, what I want, what I want. And then one day, before church started, I saw her coming. And I'm confessing here, okay? It's just us. We don't need to tell anybody. I turned, and I was trying to get out of there before she caught me. And she called, Scott, Scott. I'm like, oh, no. So I turn around, and she has this big grin on her face. And she said, who's doing the communion devotional today? And I said, I'm doing the communion devotional. And she said, oh, good. 
I've been studying with these three Burmese ladies who are new to the country, and I've been telling them about Jesus. And I want to make sure that they understand because they've been asking about what the bread and the cup means. They've been asking about the feast. And she goes, I want to make sure you do a good job for them. And she's beaming. And I was like, yes, yes, I will do that. I will do that. And it changed her. It changed her countenance. It changed her joy. It changed everything that she was interested in because what she did was she stopped going to celebrations about me. And what she did was go, these people are coming to sit in this chair. And if you've ever had somebody that you prayed with for years and years, maybe decades to go, I just so want them to come to Christ. You know when they show up. You know when they show up at the table how desperately you want them to take the seat up there next to him. Host, God, turn your eye towards my friend. I'll sit down here. I got no problem. I'm full. I have plenty. I'll take the bread. I'll take the cup. It's everything I need. Turn your attention towards this person. And when they do, have you ever felt the joy more than when you've seen somebody that you desperately love come and sit at the table and go, I've decided this is where I belong. This is who I belong to. This is where I want to be. See those people baptized into Christ and go, it's an old life that's gone away. All of the tables that have left them empty, all of the tables that have left them completely devoid of any sort of completion, and now what they're doing is they're here and they're being filled up by Christ. There's no greater joy for us. That's what fills us. His joy. He celebrates. When the angels of the Lord rejoice in heaven... Those are the things that fill us. I've tried being here and trying to make this about me. It doesn't work. It will never be right for me. But when he's happy, when he rejoices, when that chair gets filled, filled, then you realize there's something there. And I'll tell you the other part. If you've ever been a parent and you've ever sat at this place wanting your child to be there so bad, not knowing where they are, not knowing where they're going to come back, not knowing if they're safe, you know the joy that comes to the father when their child comes home and sits in that chair. You know what that is. And here's the deal. For us, when you are reborn, you are uniquely connected to the joy of the father. We are reborn people. We no longer worry about filling ourselves. That's going to be taken care of. Remember, that was done. That's a lie. There won't be enough for me. I'm completely going to be filled all the time. God has provided that. I don't need to worry about that. What I get to do now is I get to go grab people and invite them to something. And it's not inviting them to church. And it's not inviting them to a set of rules or a way of doing things. It is inviting them to this table where there's grace and where there's forgiveness and where there's mercy and when there's identity and where there's love and where there's completeness and where there's rest and where there's a place to lay your burdens down. That's what we invite people to. Because that's what will fill them. The rest of the stuff doesn't. That's why we share our faith. Is because when he gets to celebrate, we get to celebrate. That's what we do. So what should our prayer be? This is all great, but what should our prayer be? As people of God, our prayer should be, God, let us never forget what great cost it was for you to set this feast for us. Let us never forget how we were allowed to come sit here. And it didn't cost us anything, and it cost you everything. Let us never forget 
that no matter how much we've messed up, we still get to stay here. Let me tell you, if you're with us today and you haven't yet decided to become a follower of Christ, let me talk to you a couple of things just real quick. One is you may be afraid to come and sit at the Lord's table for a couple of reasons. One is you may go, God provided that, but it's not for me. You don't realize what I've done. You don't realize how I've messed up. One of the things you need to know about this table is everybody here has scars. Everybody. There's nobody here that doesn't, including our Jesus. He got scars. He's been hurt. There's nobody here that doesn't have scars. And there's nobody here among us on this earth that earned our way into this. There's plenty here, and he had you specifically in mind when he provided this feast. The second thing that I need to tell us as a church is sometimes they're afraid to come to this table because they're afraid of us. They're afraid of whether or not they look like us, whether or not we'll accept them, whether or not we'll be welcoming for them to come sit at this place, whether or not we'll look at them and go, you're doing it wrong. You're not sitting here right. You need to get some things cleaned up. You need to know we all come dirty. We all come dirty to the table. And the Lord cleans us up afterwards. And so what we want people to know is that there is a place for them here that their God welcomes them, and we do too. We want you to come. We want you to come. When you've tasted something good, let me tell you. So Chewy's in Austin used to have something before the pandemic. The pandemic's stolen a lot from us. Let me tell you what the horrible thing it stole from me was. The Elvis potato chick chicken with boom boom sauce on it. They don't make that anymore because they had to pull the menu down. It's just it's a tragedy in every way. And I firmly believe someday in glory, we will have that at this table. There you go. That's my first amen. <laughs> but you know what happens when you taste something and you go, oh, that is so good. The first thing you do is you look at the person across the table from you that you love and you go, you got to try this. You've got to try this. And you push your plate over, you cut a piece off, you give it to them. That's what we do. When you taste something that's so sweet and it's so good, the first thing we want to do is go, you've got to try this. That's who we need to be. We're the people that go, I have tasted and I have been filled with the mercy and the grace of God. You've got to try this. And everybody here is welcome. Everybody gets to come sit. Now, we'll tell you, once you sit here, you'll never be the same. Everything's going to change for you. You're going to be remade. You're going to be a different person. You're going to live different. You're going to act different. You're going to walk different. You're going to talk different. When you get filled with this, it changes you from the inside out, and you will be different. And that's our prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you so much for the great feast that we have. We recognize right now the great cost uh, that came with this. We realize that it took your death it took uh, you coming in the flesh to this place, leaving the throne of glory and coming and entering into this world and giving your life so that we can have life. Let us never forget that. Let us be a people who are so filled with that that we're changed in every way that the world looks at us and says, I have to have what they're eating. Let us be people who are welcoming. Let us be people who always make room for more people at the table. Let us be people who realize that it is your joy that fills us up. Let us not chase our own. Uh, God, we know that chasing our own joy uh, leaves us empty. Instead, let us look for the joy of our Heavenly Father. 
Give us eyes to see. Let us be people um, who are bold in our invitation. And Lord, for those that are here right now that don't know you, we ask that you would share with them through your Holy Spirit your greatest desire for them to come and belong to you and for them to be filled in every way. God, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your abundance. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.